Fandom University. Every other week, we deep dive into the topics we love and obsess over. Comics, novels, movies, sci-fi, and video games receive the elevated discourse they deserve. With your overworked TAs, Sean and Sergio. Hello, all you crowd pleasers and critical disasters out there. Welcome to a brand new episode of Fandom University. My name is Sergio. Mine is Sean. This is the second and final episode of our short uh, Eternals arc. We have watched the movie, as have uh, millions of others, I, I'm assuming. Um, I don't know how the uh, the box office gross translates to people, but I can assume that uh, millions of people have seen this movie Um some of them did not like it. Mm-hmm. Uh, some of them liked it very much. And the people that, uh, that seemingly the people that liked it very much are very angry at the people who didn't like it. <laughs> like, yeah. How dare you not like this movie that I like? Well, it's almost like they, they sort of turn. Uh, the, I think you see this a lot in fandom culture uh, because I remember seeing this when Batman v Superman came out and that took a critical drubbing and the general audience didn't like it very much, but there was a, there was a group of people who really, really loved that movie. And like, I guess for whatever reason, it really spoke to them. Uh, And they just got defensive. Like, like they were being picked on, even though they didn't make this movie, Uh, they didn't market it. Their jobs weren't on the line. It was literally just a movie that they saw and enjoyed that would still exist even if other people didn't like it. Like it wasn't going anywhere. It's not like there's there's somebody sitting at a computer and uh, like this giant computer that if a movie drops below a certain percentage on Rotten Tomatoes, they just like hit a button and then all of a sudden it blinks out of existence. It's still there. You can watch it, enjoy it all you want, you know? Uh, but yeah, I, I guess I'll just go ahead and get into uh, like a, a basic plot synopsis. The uh, Eternals is a movie about a group of beings that are created, uh, that are, uh, you know, that are eternal, they're immortal, and that they, they've been alive for uh, centuries, if not millennia. And they are more or less um, uh, responsible for sort of like the mythology that... Uh, that we know of um like they have names like makari like which sounds a lot like mercury uh names like icarus which obviously is the exact same as the uh the uh, the old uh greek mythology mythological story um there's athena there's a theme there's there's thena without the a uh and uh they also um like sort of push uh nudge uh civilization toward um into the direction to to prosper and grow um for better or worse there's this really great scene with uh fasto's character he's like sitting or he's like kneeling um like pretty much like on like at the wreckage of either hiroshima or nagasaki one of the two uh, atomic bomb sites like weeping like thinking like i shouldn't have done this like i shouldn't have this was my because fasto is sort of like the the engineer um of the of the group you know he's the mechanics he's like he's the gearhead and he's weeping um thinking like i this is my this is because of me like i did this um and just sort of as an aside i thought that uh that character is probably the the heart and soul of the movie and and definitely one of the best better parts of the film Mm -hmm. uh brian tyree henry fucking knocks it out of the park i mean he's he's fantastic yeah yeah, he he was. Yeah, I I really loved his performance in the movie. I really loved Selma Hayek's too, but I feel like he gets to do a little bit more range. Um, she kind of has to play sort of the uh, more like Obi Wan Kenobi type, you know, a little bit more the straight man um, to to you know the Eternals' uh, more fiery personalities. But yeah, yeah, I thought he he's definitely a highlight. Uh, so, I mean, so there, and they spoke of, uh, Mark Hari, uh, that character is, uh, hearing impaired, uh, and she can't speak. Uh, so she signs that uh, the whole team signs with her and she, without saying a word, just like 
oozes charisma on screen. Every time she's on screen is, is such a joy to watch. It's so fun. And then uh, she sort of has, I don't, I mean, it's, it's teased as romantic. It might be completely platonic, but she has a relationship with one of the other Eternals uh, named Druig, who is sort of painted as like the outsider of the group. Like he's able to um, sort of mind control people and he, they find him uh, and he's sort of taken over this indigenous, uh, I assume like South American village, um, which is kind of weird uh, seeing like this uh, like white character, like controlling uh, like dark, you know, darker skin character, like brown skin characters. Uh, but, but they didn't, you know, I don't know if they even just, if they thought about it in that context or, uh, and if they did like why they didn't choose to unpack it. Um, they, and that, that's my, that was my big problem with it. the stuff that I wish they had spent more time on, like, uh, like Fosto's character or the relationship between Markari and, and Druig, or even the relationship between Gilgamesh and, and Thena. Yes. Yeah. Um, like those were highlights for me. Those are things that of the movie that I thought worked really well and they sort of breezed over them and instead uh, chose uh, like highlight stuff that I didn't think really connected all that well. Um, like Cersei's relationship with Icarus and then the deviants, yeah. the deviant subplot, which the deviants play a pivotal role in the mythos of Eternals. Like they kind of, so in Jack Kirby's, like we talked about it in the first episode, you know, Jack Kirby created this, these celestial characters and they create any, the celestials created uh, Eternals. That's like the perfection, like homo, what was it? Homo. Uh, Eternalis. 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 Yeah. Sort of like um, very akin to like homo superior, the what the, like what's known as the mutants in the X-Men, the Marvel universe. Uh, and then uh, you had deviants, uh, which were sort of, um, uh, I mean, um, sort of like what, like the the pants with the messed up zipper you'd buy, like uh, for a discount at the at the dirty Dillards, yeah, yeah, at the at the flea market at the at the outlet mall. Um, <laughs> and then you have uh, then you have humans, then uh, which you know are kind of like uh, I'd say like a mixture of the two, like. You know, we're capable of greatness, but we're also capable of like really uh, ugly things, um, which I thought like, I mean, now that I kind of put it into words is uh, like really like sort of kind of a profound sort of statement by Jack Kirby. Um, but so the whole deviant subplot is sort of like shoehorned into the movie and I don't feel like it works at all. No, and I feel like they they lose a lot of opportunity there because I feel like one of the things you start to see uh, in the Neil Gaiman run on the comics and that has really come forward in the, um, the new Karen, uh, Kieran Gellin series that's been running since uh, just this year is the, the deviants or the changing people and their politics and their religion, their mythology, like what matters to them and why, like there's a pretty big twist in the Gaiman story about why the deviants were actually brought there. Yeah. Um, that's horrifying it's terrible um and it like, paints so, them in a, it paints them in a more sympathetic light makes them more nuanced than just like oh we're the we're the bad guys and we're ugly so that's how you know we're the bad guys exactly it it, it turns them into victims um and really complicates that relationship in a really interesting way and i feel like what they kind of do in this movie is they take the the, the deviant's original purpose and they kind of parse it out or not original purpose, but the game inversion of the deviant purpose and sort of mush it onto the human beings instead. Mm -hmm. And so the deviants just become like a, a plot device that gets the Eternals to earth and that provides a couple of cool fight scenes, uh, but doesn't ever really go anywhere interesting, which is a shame because even baked into the original Jack Kirby issues, there is sort of this forbidden love story between Thena and, um, one of the deviants, Warlord Crow, um, that is like an important part of the first 20 years of that series um, or, or 20 years of those characters and their appearances in the 70s and 80s. And so it, it really doesn't feel like, 
it feels like the movie, basically the movie's trying to do too much. And it, so it doesn't get to do any of it as well as yeah. it could. Yeah, like, no, I, you're absolutely right. Like it, um, I mean, the damn thing's uh, over two and a half hours long. Uh, and like you said, it, it, the plot's so jam packed that it, and it tries to do so many things. And like I said, it doesn't focus on, from, in my opinion, it doesn't focus on the things that really work. And instead just like, you know, put this head down and barrels through the plot to get us to the end. Uh, and I just, I didn't, I didn't enjoy it. I really wanted to enjoy it. I don't go into a movie hoping I hate it ever. Um, you know, I, I go into movies thinking like, I probably won't like this. Um, and, but I, I genuinely wanted to like it. I mean, I spent money on it. I wanted to enjoy it. I wanted to sit down and talk to you and say like, man, like the critics got it wrong. Um, but for the most- Like part, we did about Halloween Kills, yeah. No, yeah. Like, and, and I remember you you said like, well, maybe we're, uh, maybe we're just getting uh, uh, easier to please. That's why we like Halloween Kills. Like, yeah, but I nope. don't really like Eternals. You know, I was like, <laughs> I definitely know what I like and why I like it. You know, I can tell you exactly why I liked Halloween Kills and I did for um, close to an hour. Uh, and I can tell you why I don't like Eternals. And, but what really confused me is, um, and it didn't confuse me that people did like it. Um, you know, there was... Uh, a, a period in our lives where Rushmore was the greatest movie of all time because it spoke to us at a, at a certain age, at a certain time in our lives. Uh, it, it the things the, the movie that the, the themes and the ideas of the movie sort of like were operating at the same wavelength of our frequency, and just yeah. it clicked, you know. And so I'm not going to begrudge anyone for seeing this movie and and loving it. Uh, at the same time, though, I I don't get why you're why people are so angry at the critics for for not liking this movie. Yeah, yeah, it's it's really weird because I I mean, part of it I feel like is that there is this valid, I, I feel valid thing that I've seen happen over the course of the last few years, watching the Marvel reviews where, um, you know, after the Avengers came out and was this, you know, one of the biggest movies ever made. Like, I think it was like at the time, the third biggest movie ever to come out. Like it was behind like Avatar and um, uh, Titanic and, or I guess fourth and uh, Dark Knight. But anyway, um, the critical reviews were very gentle on Marvel for a long time. And I feel like that starting to, we're starting to see a little bit of that backlash. I think critics might be getting a little tired of the, the Marvel thing, you know, it's like familiarity breeds contempt. And so like, even though the product is, has always been variable because like Thor, the dark world, I would argue is probably the worst Marvel movie, but it's like 10% higher on Rotten Tomatoes maybe even more so now, it might be like 16% higher. Um, so, you know, it. so I, I feel like Marvel from the get-go, Marvel Studios has been a mixed bag with mixed to positive results, right? Um, and I feel like maybe the critics are, are coming down a little harder on it. And so audiences maybe are a little upset that their favorite thing isn't like getting a pass from the critics anymore. I think that might be part of it. I think also, probably the movie spoke to them in ways that it didn't speak to a lot of the critical body, same way that Halloween Kills spoke to us more than, uh, it, you know, it spoke to a lot of the critics. Um, I don't think that the people who love Eternals are right, though, and I do think we're right about Halloween Kills. Um, <laughs> <laughs> like, objectively. No, I'm just kidding. Everybody's entitled to their opinion, and if you love a movie, you should love it with your whole heart. Um, and don't let anybody take that away from you because there's so little happiness to be found in this miserable post-hope world. So if you love the Eternals, good for you. Um, and don't let us take it away. But I, I think I, I definitely think there's a little bit of backlash. I also feel like there's definitely this thing in fan culture, and we touched on this just a, a little bit earlier, where it's almost like like you're rooting for a sports team. And so it, it becomes a part of your personality. And so you get defensive if somebody's talking shit about your team, as if like you're somehow, even though you don't play for that team, 
you don't make any money from it. it. They just happen to play in your city or whatever city, you know, or wear the colors that you like or whatever reason you pick to like a sports team. I don't know much about sports. Um, Who knows why anyone likes uh, any yeah, sports team? Yeah, exactly. It's all baffling to me from the outside. But I think, like, there is this sense of, like, they they somehow paint Disney as an underdog, which is fucking ridiculous because they're like the biggest entertainment conglomerate on the planet. They're going to be fine. Yeah. Um, and, and even like even Marvel now isn't like, you know, when we were in high school 20 years ago, I don't know that there was much of anyone else that we knew of that like read comics that knew about comics that could talk about comics the way we could talk about comics. You know, I wore a Spider-Man t-shirt. I have a Spider-Man t-shirt on in my senior photos. Uh, so like I, I I was in it to win it off jump. Um, and so, you know, there still might be a sort of like holdover of that. Like it's like, that's our thing. And we, and you know, and, and we'll defend it no matter what. When really like, you know, you can go into any store and find something Marvel related now. You know, it used to be I had to hunt down a Charleston Chew because if I got three UP, if I got three barcodes, like UPC barcodes, I could send them in and get a free comic. Nowadays, like you can go anywhere and you'll probably see Iron Man something. You'll see the you'll see the Avengers. You'll see Black Panther. You'll see Eternals will have some sort of like you know Eminem tie-in. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I mean. Disney has turned Marvel. Well, I mean, Marvel turned Marvel into a name brand, and then Disney bought it basically. But Disney like, hey, did a good thing. Let's own that. Yeah, exactly. And Disney just did it, like you know, bigger, even bigger. Um, but like they were well on their way even before Disney, you know, um, made the acquisition. That's why Disney made the acquisition. Same with Star Wars. It wasn't like, hey, we're gonna help you out with Star Wars. It's like Star Wars is like we're fine over here. But okay, sure, we'll take your money. Sure, why not? Um, so yeah, I, I mean, I get that. And, but like, this is, these are the biggest thing going in entertainment right now. There is nothing bigger than Marvel at theaters right now. They dominate the cultural landscape for better or worse. So like them stubbing their toe, not that big a deal. I mean, it, you know, maybe, and maybe there is some fear there about like, oh, I love this. I want this to keep going. And so if other people aren't buying into it at the same level I am, or at least pretending, you know, it's like when your favorite band puts out their first bad album and you're younger and you're just like, no, I'm going to love the green album so goddamn hard. Wow. You're going to just fucking just shoot shots at me. All right. That's fine. Was, go ahead. I was there go too. ahead. We were both right there. We both loved that album. Um, I mean, only one of us reviewed it in the paper, but <laughs> the school newspaper. No, come on, in the in the Vols voice. The just... Vols voice, the the paper of record for our high school. <laughs> yeah, I, I wonder if anyone's like, I wonder what the Vols voice had to say about the Green album back in two thousand one, <laughs> and then post it online. Right, they're, what they're... A, you're gonna this guy. You're gonna take your opinions off from him. <laughs> They find your your little capsule review from two thousand one. Um, but yeah, yeah, I, I I I think that they're worried about like if this thing fades, then my favorite thing goes away. And I remember feeling that way when reviews of Attack of the Clones came out. Like I remember being so invested, needing that movie to be good so badly because Star Wars was like my favorite thing in the world, and I really, really enjoyed it the first time I saw it. I saw that movie five times in the theater and like basically bullied myself into loving it. And I would now openly acknowledge, I think it is the worst Star Wars movie of all nine Star Wars movies. I think it's worse than The Phantom Menace. Um, but at that time, I remember seeing the reviews. I remember going like to, it was when you were living in the apartment, we were like 19, we went to the convenience store across the street from your apartment complex to get snacks. And I remember seeing like a newspaper that to date where we were in time, there was a newspaper next to the register and there was a cover blurb about attack of the clones. That was a review that just said it was terrible. And I remember just feeling like, like I'd been broken up with by my crush or something. <laughs> like I just felt like, Oh, the rest of the world doesn't love this as much as I do. So I think there's some of that. There's probably a lot of young people who, aren't maybe as secure in their tastes 
Um, and the things they love are what's building, you know, holding up their personalities to some degree. I know it was true for me when I was younger. Yeah, that makes sense. Like, you know, so it's, if you like something that, um, that is disliked by a large group of people, it's sort of, you know, you, you sort of second guess yourself and think like, man, well, do I just like bad stuff? Right. Or, or am I somehow of less worth? Yeah. Because of that. Um, like, does this reflect on my worth as a human being rather than just like, Hey man, I like some stuff that's not popular, you know? Like, yeah. And- or like, or I, I like some stuff that I can objectively say, like, you know, uh, isn't, you know, isn't a complete, like, you know, home run isn't like, isn't completely like just blockbuster from start to finish. Yeah, exactly. And so I'm hoping that's mostly what it is and not people like our age, although I'm sure that they do exist. Uh, I like to think it's people in their teens and twenties who are just really love this stuff and are sad that this thing that they're so in love with isn't maybe the cultural darling at the moment that it was last year or two years ago. And to be fair, it's been kind of an iffy year for for Marvel's releases. I think Spider-Man's probably just going to bring it home, you know, in a big way. I'm really excited about Spider-Man. But, um, you know, I wasn't too hot on Black Widow. I liked Shang-Chi. Shang-Chi was great. Yeah, Shang-Chi was great. The Eternals, I liked, (laughs) I think, better than you. Yeah. Uh, But like I said, there was, like, I mean, I, I I didn't, I was, I was, like, tepid on it i didn't i didn't hate it i didn't i didn't love it uh you know i could see like why people liked it because the thing there were there were things to like there were things that i liked that i really liked um but um to me there wasn't enough of that to overshadow the stuff that i didn't think was good i thought there was like kind of like it was almost like a completely like half and half mix of good and bad and leaves it with a movie that's really disjointed and uneven. I wonder, and tell me what you think about this. For me, I think a lot of the stuff that worked best was when they were acting like a family, when they were squabbling, when they Absolutely. were eating Absolutely. I thought, yeah. and that's, um, you know, you, you're, you're such a trooper. You read all the comic books that we put on the reading list to read. I didn't get through half of them. <laughs> Because I couldn't care about these characters. I couldn't find myself to care about these uh, nigh-invincible, immortal characters. And yeah, like you said, the the parts for me that worked best of the movie were the parts where they're acting sort of like, like a dysfunctional squabbling family. Like not even dysfunctional, but just a family, you know, because you don't always get along with it. You love your family, but you don't always get along with them. No, you argue, you fight, you have long-running disputes. Um yeah, you, and that's yeah. you hold grudges. Yeah, yeah. You you flip monopoly boards, like it's all there. And that's part of being a family, right? Is conflict is just part of being around other humans or other sentient beings in the case of the Eternals. Um and like I remember that was really when the movie started to come together for me when they finally got to um Druig's village. Every, yeah, everyone got together. Yeah, yeah. And um did they get to Druig's village before or after they visited Dina and Gilgamesh? Like, I remember them eating or eating dinner around the table and there was, was the- before. The... Okay. So, yeah. Oh, no, and... after. I think they got Dina and Gilgamesh pretty early on. Okay. Yeah. Around then, I was starting to- I noticed I was getting more interested in the movie because you start off with Cersei and Icarus and Sprite, who, unfortunately, like- I think the actors all do a good job with what they're given. I think they're all very charismatic screen presences. I just think that they also happen to be the three least interesting characters in the movie, Um, which is a shame because I love the idea that this is a Marvel movie, the second Marvel movie featuring a person of color as the lead this year, um, and uh, the second directed by a person of color, um, you know, uh, this year. And Cersei actually, in a lot of ways in the comics, is the most interesting Eternal. She's the only one who has any sort of personality in the original Jack Kirby run, even if her personality is just sort of, you know, vampy, debutante, sex kitten, you know, um, who's inexplicably attracted to uh, professor types, which, you know, I'm I'm fine with. Um, but 
and they kind of I, I like the idea that they turn her into the prime eternal that it becomes about that they that they sort of sideline Icarus to to bring her forward as the lead uh, and complicate Icarus quite a bit from what he is in the comics. Um, so like there are all these gestures that they're making that are in the right direction. Uh, and I wonder like this is going to sound insane if a four hour version of this movie would have worked better or as we talked about with, um, well, I don't think we talked about it on the show, but in private, we were talking about Dune and how I felt like I would have rather that be an HBO series, like a, a season long event rather than two, two and a half hour movies. And I really feel like the Eternals could have benefited from that Disney plus like scope. Yeah, I, I definitely agree. I think that, um, uh, four to six episode, which with each episode being, you know, 45 minutes to an hour, um, like Disney plus like event would have been, uh, I think would have been more ideal. Like I said, they definitely could have, um, the stuff that I like the deviant subplot that I felt uh, was shoehorned in definitely could have been fleshed out more. The stuff that I did think that worked like, um, like all of Fasta's character, the relationships between Markari and Druig and Dina and Gilgamesh could have been fleshed out more. Uh, and I think there would have been more that I more to enjoy compared to the stuff that, you know, like the stuff with Cersei and Icarus and, and, and Sprite. And, and I wanted to like Sprite, but her, like uh, her, I guess, like plot line of, of always being a kid, never being able to grow up uh, just kind of fell flat for me. I feel like Neil Gaiman handled it better in his book. I feel like they 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 kind of borrow that because Icarus, spoiler alert, I guess, um, not Icarus, but uh, Sprite is kind of the villain of the Neil Gaiman run. It turns out yeah. that she she or they, I guess, erased everyone's memories and took on mortality. Um, and I did like that twist became at the like end. a YouTube star or something like that. Yeah, or like a Disney Channel star. Yeah. Like that's that's so Sprite <laughs> was was the name of his show or her show. I forget uh, what what Sprite's gender was. I feel like Sprite was still a he at that point. I think Sprite's a she now. Um, but um, but yeah, yeah. I and I will say I liked that Icarus turned out to actually be kind of the heavy. That that they decentered the white, you know, Aryan-looking hero from the comics and sort of turned him into the guy who like killed their leader, who's been harboring the secret, who um, is willing to see the mission through, you know, until the very end, and um, that he essentially becomes the villain. And I like the gesture of Sprite being like this child who emotionally is actually you know as mature as the rest of them but yep. just like stuck in this body who's in love with this man who can never see her the way she wants to be seen because she's a kid yeah um like that 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 should be heartbreaking and i wish it had been maybe if you'd had like i i think part of the problem is you never feel that love you never see it it's just told to you by druig at yeah. one point it's just delivered as exposition rather than like so you never have an emotional connection to it um and I feel like that was a lot of the the problem is again they're barreling through so much material. Like I feel like with Disney Plus you could actually I felt like the flashback structure was really clumsy too. Like it it you know it felt jarring the way they moved through time. Like if they'd just done it in a more linear fashion, like let's just start with them at the beginning of time and then check in with them every hundred years or something up to the present day and like let these tensions build and um, you know these relationships flower like which is what TV is best at is letting relationships kind of grow and change over That's time. Slow right? burn. Yeah, exactly. Um, and I, I did like, I mean, I'm a sucker for the, for the celestial stuff. I, I loved the visuals of that. Um, and I did love the, the twist that the celestials actually were assholes. Yeah. <laughs> that they're absolute monsters. And I do love the idea of these angels defying their God, essentially. I think that's a great, concept for a giant blockbuster movie to tackle um and i i even kind of love that they don't get off scot-free with it at the end you know as much as i was complaining about dune ending on a giant cliffhanger uh i was like 
eh, I don't know, this feels like a comic book ending and this is a comic book movie. So I like, there's a lot that I like that it's trying, you know? And like, yeah. I, I would rather, again, like to me, at least it's trying some interesting things, even if it doesn't all pan out. And that to me alone makes it more interesting than like Black Widow, which does what it sets out to do perfectly. It's just what it set out to do. I didn't find particularly interesting. It's kind of with as many Marvel movies as we have nowadays, it's sort of paint by numbers. Yeah, yeah. It, like completely competent, fun to watch, good time. Um, just not, you know, it's not like the Avengers or something where like, or or even like Winter Soldier where like you feel like you just saw something really fucking special. Um, and so like, you know, it's a bit of a misstep. I, I hope they'll find a way to sort of... Um, course correct with either the series or find a way to work the characters in um but i guess that leads to something i did want to talk about a little bit and we talked about this a little bit last time but i kind of wanted to get your take on um you know the idea like i i think i said last time what i love about the eternals in the comics is that they are sort of the way they fit into the bigger puzzle of the marvel universe um and maybe that's part of why this movie doesn't quite work is the characters just like what makes the best Marvel stuff tick is always the character work, right? Like that's right. why we show up. Marvel's villains have never been like, you know, uh, the, the best villains for the most part. I mean, they've got some standouts, but like what you really show up to see is the heroes, you know, struggling and succeeding and failing and all, you know, failing forward until they succeed and overcoming their own shortcomings. And with the Eternals, I feel like they tried to give them some of that here but it just, I don't know, like with the first Avengers movie, you had these individual units building up to it. So like you already had some built-in drama that that the filmmakers could call back on. Right. And here it's like you have to do all those movies and the Avengers in one go. And it just, it, it it's almost impossible. But yeah, I wanted to see like if maybe that's part of it too, is just the characters like aren't just as compelling as most Marvel, most of Marvel's what, signature characters. No, I mean, like that, that's, that was my major complaint reading the comic books and why I couldn't get through as many as I had hoped because I just couldn't find myself to care about these characters. Yeah, yeah, like, like Peter Parker, amazing character. Like he is one of the best characters in pop culture, period. Like he's a, so compelling. Like the, the way Stan Lee and Steve Ditko created him as like Jimmy Olsen with superpowers, but terrible fucking luck is just, it's <laughs> genius. And it's, it's, it's inexhaustible too, because like no matter how much older Peter gets or how many times he succeeds, he's still up against his own limitations constantly and struggling and often failing and losing horribly before he grows and does better. Um, you know, and that's, he's kind of inexhaustible as a character that way. Um, and yeah, right from Jump Street, the Eternals don't feel broken in the comics. They feel, especially in Kirby's comics, they they feel very much like complete, developed, fully realized, actualized, you know, in their own minds, at least, uh, people. So like, there's nothing that they really want. There's nothing that they really need. And the movie tries to give them that. And again, like if they'd had more time, I think they could have done it. They had a, I feel like they had a really great cast. Like the cast isn't the problem. No, the cast is not the problem. I mean, every, everyone does uh, exceptionally well with what they're given. Um, I guess that, you know, Brian Tyree Henry stands out for me. Uh, even Angelina Jolie um, does really well with Thena with um, this sort of, um, like, a mentally fragile character like the the they um it's explained that like the the weight of all her memories are is pretty much making her brain collapse so she goes into these sort of um fugues like yeah that where she attacks anyone and anything including her fellow eternals and then the relationship she has with gilgamesh who with as little on-screen time as that character has you understand that he is a man of like little words, but he's loyal to, to the end and will fight until the end, which he does. And like I said, like 
when the characterization works, it works really well. Um, but for a character like Cersei, uh, or even um, even Sprite, like you said, like we don't see the the heartbreak the, of Sprite longing for Icarus these past millennia, but you know, unable to to consummate any sort of romantic relationship because she's in the body of a child while he's in the body of an adult. We don't see that. We're told that. And so that, you know, that impact is, is negligible at best. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I also, I do want to give a shout out to Kamel Nanjiani who I just love. Yeah. Yeah. Kingo. Yeah. Yeah. As Kingo. And also um, what was his valet's name? I can't remember. Um, But I thought those two were really cute together. I really enjoyed that relationship. I thought they were very sweet and, um, yeah, I was I was really happy to see Kumail in a Marvel movie. I thought he killed it. I was a little sad that he kind of disappears for most of the third act. Yeah. Um, but I, you know, I'm hoping that he'll pop up in some way again. Um, just because I am, I always, I, I just love him. I think he's wonderful. I also one one thing I do want to also point out, and this is going back to like how they flipped some of the roles that Druig historically has been the heavy in the Eternals group. Like he's sort of a villain uh, because of the mind control thing and this idea of like controlling people, but they humanize him here. And again, like if they'd unpacked that more, I think there's so much there to get into about like how he, I think genuinely wants to help and feels like this is the best way to do it. Yeah. And only surrenders it whenever he has to, to, to go help, you know, the rest of the Eternals. But like that at the end of the day, he's the one trying to help. And Icarus is the one trying to kill everybody. Yeah. Um, that they flip that and that to me while still capturing what I felt like was the essence of what Kirby communicated about those characters early on but just showing how the world's values have maybe flipped so that like you know and, and not entirely because they do soften Druig he he has a better heart in the movie and Icarus is colder but but that they still it didn't feel to me like either of them was acting out of character and yet in the context of the narrative, one of them ends up being a hero and the other is a villain. Um, And that, that I thought was really cool. And I wish, again, like I could have watched a whole episode of, you know, watching, you know, even if they'd done it like Lost where, you know, each character gets a flashback episode or something. And so you kind of get to see other stories. Like, I don't know, it's, it's frustrating because there is so much to get excited about in this movie. And I can understand why people are, excited about it um i just you know i i wish it worked a little bit better as a whole rather than as an ambitious uh misfire uh one last one last uh i guess point of view i want to examine is like you mentioned that this is um you know the latest in uh uh uh, marvel movies being fronted by people of color and the second this year, a, a person of color directing the movie. Uh, do you think that there's some sort of um, like that, um, going back to that like fervent uh, support, that fervent um, uh, championing of this movie has to do with, you know, it, if this doesn't succeed, we might not get that again. They might say like, okay, well, let's just stick to the early 30 white guy named Chris. Let's, let's just make movies with those guys and continue doing that um, rather than, you know, taking, taking chances either by making movies like Shang-Chi, which are, have always been about a person of color or uh, flipping the script and turning uh, what has been historically a white character and turning it into a person of color, not because to, to make any sort of statement other than to like, why not? Like, you know, it's their, their ethnicity, their race isn't paramount to, the the story their identity you know unlike someone like you know like black panther would be um so why not you know why not if we find an actor that we feel uh captures that that uh character's essence and and auditions fantastically why not why not change that um is there do you think that that has something to do with it that sort of um that fear that um this sort of um uh inclusiveness inclusivity might sort of shrink up if not end completely 
if movies like if movies like Eternals aren't successful. I I hadn't really considered it, but I wouldn't be surprised if that's not part of it on the on the nobler end of the championing championing because I I know like I remember when Black Panther came out. Um, there was such a like I saw it and I enjoyed it so much like I thought it was wonderful but like the reaction I saw online outpaced even my enthusiasm for the movie and I think a lot of it was because like look at this giant superhero movie that has an only like majority black cast and it's like huge it got nominated for best picture like because like not only was it a good movie it was important like and so I I could see there being some fear about that and I I I hope that this movie you know, kind of having to take it on the chin doesn't, I mean, Shang-Chi was well-received, I think. Um, so, but I could see there being some some misgivings or some fear about that. Um, and I hope that that isn't the case. I, I feel like Disney has shown that it's pretty dedicated to a model of, of moving towards diversity and inclusivity in their casting and now in their filmmaking. Um, and I'm hoping that doesn't go away just because one movie didn't do well. Although I think that is a valid fear because you see things like that happen, right? Like um, when the 2016 Ghostbusters came out and it was relatively well reviewed, but like it there was such a toxic backlash against it and it, it did okay at the box office. It didn't, you know, set the world on fire. Um, but like that pretty much shut down like you know, any hopes of a sequel, like it put that franchise back into hibernation until like the, the son of the original director was like, okay, let's actually make Ghostbusters 3, you know. Um, so I, I think that is a valid fear, historically speaking. I'm hoping that that isn't the end result. Um, and I would never begrudge anybody who's excited to see themselves on screen um, because that that is so important. It it especially for kids. Like it is so important to be Absolutely. able to. Yeah. I um, had a, a guy I used to work with. Um, we're still friends on Facebook and he posted a picture of his son who is biracial uh, picture of him, a photo of him watching Spider-Man into the Spider-Verse. And like the caption was like little homie saw himself on TV and just sort of like, you know, because like his hairstyle was very similar to Miles Morales and kind of meant it as a joke but like that is so important that is wildly important and i feel like if you don't think it is then you've never had to address not being able to see yourself on screen and so you you have no frame of reference you have no point of reference for for that like you've always been able to see someone that looks sort of like you on tv in the movies and so finally being able, and then after, you know, your entire life, not being able to do that, finally being able to is so monumental. I mean, that's one of the great things I read, you know, and all the reading I did about the movie of Eternals, you know, afterwards, like the critical reviews and all that was Salma Hayek talking about when she first put on the, the, the um, like the costume, the outfit, the uniform, the, um, the Eternals, you know, garb she started crying because she saw she's like i see like i I was looking in the mirror and i saw my brown face as a superhero which is something that you know a lot of you know uh people of latin descent like myself included like you know i we don't see that you know we don't see that um and for like people you know uh you know african-americans um, you know, something like, you know, Falcon Winter Soldier, seeing uh, Falcon transition into being into becoming Captain America is is monumentally important. It you know? felt powerful. Yeah. In, and it was really well done in the show. Like I, I teared up a little bit. No. Yeah. And, and grappling with with what does that mean? Like given, you know, African-Americans history with this country. Like, what does it mean for him to be taking on that mantle, both negative and positive? Um, And so like, there's, you know, there's a lot to be said about that. And like I said, I, I, I completely agree with you. I hope that this doesn't um, dissuade Disney 
and or Marvel from continuing, um, I guess this, um, this uh, program or this, um, this model of, like you said, diversity and inclusivity. Um, but one last thing I wanted to bring up is um, the, on Rotten Tomatoes and, you know, a lot of people have their qualms with the website, you know, what, whatever you may have, but I thought that um, they have like a critic critics consensus, which is like this little like one sentence blurb that sort of describes, um, and I'm not sure if somebody for Rotten Tomatoes wrote this, or if this is if this is plucked from one of the reviews that it uh, aggregates. Um, but it says an ambitious superhero epic that soars as often as it strains. Eternals takes the MCU in intriguing and occasionally confounding new directions. I think that's spot bucking on. It really is. It really is. Um... Yeah, I, I, I feel a little weird about Rotten Tomatoes, but I also go check it out probably once a week. So like, but it also leads me to read full reviews sometimes that I wouldn't find otherwise. So at least they're linking to the reviews. Um, and honestly, that is an amazing sum up. I, I don't think we can put it better than that. Also, just one more time, Selma Hayek is really good in the movie. And I'm so glad that we got to see her as Ajax. Uh, finally, uh, what do you think the, so... We had this um, sort of cliffhanger ending. Uh, what do you think the future holds for these characters? I wouldn't be opposed to seeing uh, two to three, but maybe just individual characters from this movie popping up in supporting roles in future MCU movies or Disney Plus TV series, sort of like to flesh the characters out they're sort of doing the Avengers in reverse. I, I mean, not, right. not, not like saying they, they are doing this, but were they to do this? Like, like you talked about, you, they each, each character had their own standalone movies, two or three at a time before uh, they showed up in Avengers. So we, you had that, that history to lean on. What if they're doing this backwards? Like they start off with a big like crossover movie and then parse them out throughout the, throughout the cinematic universe to only to bring them back together later and we have that much more to to um, you know, and that much more invested in these characters. I I wouldn't be surprised. Marvel is really good uh, historically about sort of pivoting from uh, not disappointment necessarily, but maybe missteps or whatever. Like like what they did with uh, the Hulk after the Incredible Hulk. It came out. It did okay. Um, and instead of making more Hulk movies, they made like. They made Bruce Banner like the the breakout character in the Avengers, you know, like he's he gets like the best line in the movie about, you know, I'm always angry in that moment where he actually brings the team together by punching the space whale. So I could really see them like using, you know, which leads to that amazing spinning shot of, of all of them together for the first time. Um, still the highlight of Marvel for me, period. <laughs> but um, but yeah, I could definitely see them they'll find ways to, they find ways to take even the weaker things from their mythology and like build them out into something better. Like as much as I love Chris Hemsworth as Thor, I have to admit the first two Thor movies are two of the weaker Marvel movies, um, which I hate to admit because I loved both immensely upon release and have kind of come to be like, okay, yeah, I can see why this wasn't as popular. Um, but like then they, 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 you, you go to Ragnarok, right? And suddenly you've got one of easily like the top three Marvel movies, you know? Yeah. Um, so I, I think they'll find a way to, 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 to make these characters come alive for us, to make us care a bit more, to give us more grounding with them. And hopefully in such a way that, you remember when X-Men 2 came out, it almost retroactively made the first X-Men better. Yep. And Spider-Man 2, I would say. Like, as much as I loved the first Spider-Man, I thought Spider-Man 2 just made me love the first one even more because of the way it built on it. Um, so I wouldn't be surprised if Marvel finds a way to, yeah, either thread these characters into other beloved characters' narratives or to sort of course correct and find a way to make this work. I think they've got a lot invested in this world, too. It seems to be a big piece of their puzzle moving forward. Um, so fingers crossed. Absolutely. Well, that's about wraps it up for us. 
Uh, no, uh, we want to thank you so much for listening. Uh, this will actually be our, um, for a while, our last episode um, in keeping with the sort of, um, you know, university collegiate theme. We will be taking a Christmas break. Um, not only does it fit the uh, the motif and all that, but uh, Sean's moving uh, in the next uh, couple of weeks. So he'll uh, be busy doing that. Uh, I will be going on vacation toward the end of the year. So I'll be busy doing that. Um, and uh, we're just... Uh, we're, we're tired of, we're tired of doing this for right now. We, uh, we've been doing this, uh, nonstop since April. And so we're going to take a a small break for the rest of the year. We'll be back, uh, beginning of 2022. Um, the first, uh, arc that we're going to do is actually the scream movies. We have scream five coming out in January. So, uh, we're going to watch, uh, the first four movies and then the fifth one. And, uh, I'm excited about those because because of their like sort of deconstructionist nature, I mm-hmm. think they're they easily lend themselves to you know what we do here at Fandom University. Absolutely, um, and also just it'll be interesting to see. I mean, how the originals have aged versus the the more recent installments. Like this franchise has lasted so long, it's kind of it'll be interesting to see. And this will be the first one not directed by Wes Craven too. So um, it's the first one since he passed. So. I'm very um, excited to dig into the meat of all this. Uh, and also like, we're not, we're not going to leave you completely high and dry. If you are interested in taking a fandom university mini mester, we will return for a special matrix arc. We haven't decided yet if it's going to be uh, two episodes or just one, but we will be diving into uh, the Matrix movies, the, Ma- the original trilogy, as well as the new Matrix Resurrections movie coming out at the end of December. Uh, but yeah, so thank you again so much for listening uh, throughout 2021. We hope to see you and all your friends that you have presumably told about this show in 2022. <laughs> uh, yeah, thank you so much. My name is Sergio. Mine is Sean. Flippers up. Flippers up. Be kind to yourself and others.